Hey guys, it's Alicia Taylor and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Anyway, Chris, you want to jump in first? Sure. So, um, as of yesterday, it was the first time I'd ever heard of you and your group. Oh, cool. I'd, I'd awesome. never seen it before or anything. So, I spent the morning going through some things. And I'm sure you get asked all like similar questions all the time. But there's one thing I wanted to know personally, um, because I'm sure you get asked, how did you get into dance and how did this all happen? And I read the history of how you were a cheerleader for a while. And football does not strike me as a heavy metal genre, like sport at okay. all. And I was wondering, like, how did you transition from from like that into the metal scene? Do you know what I mean? Because I, I only recently got, got into heavy metal in 2011. I came from like a modern rock kind of background. And then yeah. I, I had this one moment where I was just like, oh, shit, this is heavy metal. I love this. Mm-hmm. So what was that okay. moment for you? Um, well, the, the moment for when I fell in love with heavy metal uh, was way back when I was a kid. I mean, I grew up in the Seattle area. So um, I was surrounded by, by the grunge scene in the 90s. You know, I was born in 85. So, um, you know, right in those formative years where you're kind of coming into your own and you're kind of discovering music, I think we all can relate when we start, you know, your babysitter shows you this tape or something. And, and my babysitter showed me that tape called Green Jelly. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, I was really, really young at the time. And And I was like, wow, you know, what is this kind of music? And, you know, I think we generally get exposed to it through, you know, parents or siblings or people that were around mostly. Right. And um, especially back then in the in the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, you know, we didn't have streaming. It wasn't like as easy to find music back then. You kind of had to be introduced to it if it wasn't on the radio already or on MTV, because back then they used to play music. So, um, for me, it was just kind of always, always around, um, when it started getting heavier and heavier, I would say when I was around, oh, like 12, 13, 14, around that age, um, you know, started listening to like fear factory. I ran around with a group of boys. I was a, I was a tomboy. Um, so we were listening to like fear factory corn was getting really big, um, in the scene, um, Gosh, what else? Um, and yes, yes, actually Slipknot too. Um, back in those days, I remember uh, one of my friends was like, you got to see this this video. And he had this uh, VHS tape and he put it in his TV. And he's like, it's this band and they're from Iowa and they wear these masks and they're crazy. And I was like, what is this? Right in. That, do I? You got sucked right in, right? I got sucked right in. I was like, this is amazing. And yeah, even back then, like Limp Bizkit, um, you know, had their uh, $3 bill y'all album, um, you know. And so it, there was this big wave. And, and I'm a massive Prodigy fan. Okay. So, so like the Prodigy was like everything to me in 98. That was like their big year, I think. Um, and that's when I got introduced to them. So I, yeah, it just kind of was always a part of me growing up. And then I took that you know, into high school and, um, into college and then into adulthood. So when I entered into the NFL, 
I was kind of the black sheep of sheep of the team. I had the most tattoos on the team. Um, they were all small and I had to cover them up all the time. And um, I was still a metal head, you know, through and through. And, um, you know, I, I've told this story a little bit before, but um, all the gr- all the cheerleaders would have a day where they could be DJ for the day in the locker room. And they all got ready. For the <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like eight in the morning and we're at the Georgia Dome. And we're, you know, all the girls would put it on their makeup and usually they'd put on like pop or techno or hip hop or, and that's fine. Um, but it was my day <laughs> and, and I put on, uh, I, I put on Slipknot and they never asked me, I never got to be DJ again after that. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. Very. But, um, yeah, but I think, I think I, I would challenge that though, that idea that, um, that metal doesn't really that, that I think it does go really well with football because every game I've been to, I mean, they've always playing guns and roses. They're always playing ACDC. They're always playing Metallica. And depending on what city you're in, because I think they, they, you know, play to their, their, their local culture, there, yeah. environment. Um, you know, I, I know the, some of the places like, um, where was it? Is it Cincinnati? No, is it Cincinnati? or Detroit, somewhere up there, uh, they were playing all, all rock and metal. And then in Oakland, you know, Carrie King went to the game. My girlfriend was a cheerleader over there for the Raiders. They were playing all Slayer that day. Yeah. The cheerleaders didn't know what to do with that. Oh, <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> um, I yeah, stand corrected. It, I stand it, it, corrected. But there was also, you know, a lot of hip hop and, and, and yes, a lot of pop as well. So, yeah, I just generally think of the NFL as like more mainstream. You know what I mean? Like, so what does metal go with then? Like yeah. we have the, always playing it safe within the lines hockey. Okay. Fair. I, I could see that. I think, I think so too. Hockey. Um, I don't know. Anyways, it, it's not really important. <laughs> Anything MMA. Aggressive? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. MMA. Yeah. Definitely. Anyways, yeah. it was just a Not question for me because, like, for me, I only discovered metal in like 2011 when I went on a heavy metal cruise, yeah. and I was like yeah. in my 30s, and I was just like, "Holy fuck!" My life was just changed instantly. Mm. So I was wondering, like, what that moment was like for you? But because you grew up with it, it probably wasn't such a groundbreaking moment for you. <laughs> but I was just wondering. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Jesus!" For me, it was crazy. So hard um, yeah. my language. Oh, that's fine. But I know you've done, a, I mean, a lot of hard work doing, I read about all the motorcycle shows and all that stuff, but how in the hell do you get hooked up with Corey Taylor? So our, our industry is very small, right? In our, in our, and especially rock and metal, it's even smaller right. and uh, music industry. A, a lot of people would be surprised to know that a lot of people in our industry, the, the genres cross over too. So, you know, people, everyone knows someone through someone or via someone through our industry and that's across pop country, metal, rock. Generally we're all separated by a very small degree. Um, with that said, uh, Corey and I met years and years and years ago, um, probably over 10 years ago now when I was a cheerleader, uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, uh, his guitar player in Stone Sour was a massive Atlanta Falcons fan. And he would come down to George Dome and, and my best friend uh, worked at the front office there in their digital media team. Mm-hmm. And so um, because none of my friends would go to metal shows with me, he would, he was my homie. He was, we were concert buddies. Nice. And so, um, so in a weird twist of, of 
fate, uh, my best friend got linked up with Josh from Stone Sour and they would kind of trade favors back and forth. You want to come to a Stone Sour show? Sure. Do you want to come tour the Georgia Dome? Sure. And I kind of just reaped the benefits of both because I was just there. Um, so we, I would go to Stone Sour shows to see Josh ran. I didn't even like Corey met in passing a lot of times like, hi, Oh, that's Corey Taylor. Nice to meet you. Okay. Bye. And then we would kind of do that over through the course of, gosh, five, six, seven years or so. Mm-hmm. And then um, I started touring. I, I left the NFL, created Cherry Bombs. We started touring. We started gaining some momentum. And one one show I was at, a Slipknot show, again, with my, my concert buddy, um, Corey came up and said, oh, hi, nice, you know, nice to meet you again for like the fourth, fourth of the time. And um, he said, do you, you run that dance group? That's like touring with rock bands now. And I said, yeah. And he said, I've seen videos of you guys. You guys are really good. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And then it was like, bye. And then, you know, a year or so passed after that. And Corey reached out to me directly and he said, hey, um, I'm putting this tour together with Steel Panther and I want it to be really fun. And I want it to just be a party. And I, and I want an act that is not a band. I want it to be something completely different. And I think the cherry bombs would be the perfect fit for this tour. How fucking cool and is that? Yeah. So it's been a, a really long. Um, so how excited was the kid weird. that was the kid that was listening to Iowa to being yeah. to actually sharing the stage or that moment that must've been like quite amazing. Oh, it was unreal. Yeah, of course. I mean, anybody who's a fan in this, in, in the, of this music would have been, I, I was like, I was so stoked. I was like, Oh my gosh, this right. is amazing. This is what a cool opportunity. And, um, and I was super excited, super stoked, very flattered. Um, and so we started going to work right away. I started working on this tour that I was going to be on with Stone Sour. And then through that process and touring together, Corey and I got to know each other really well. When you tour together, you're with each other every day for a long period of time. And, you know, you really get to know each other. And he said, can I take you out on a date? And I said, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I turned it down. And um nice. And I yeah, I said, you know, I was like, it's really important to me that I stay professional. Um, and you know, we're on tour right now, and I just don't want to, you know, promote that kind of uh kind of work behavior right now. Um, and he said, Okay, fine. And then after the tour is over, he was like, Now can I take you on a date? And I said, Yes. So nice. I, I, I did not I didn't know that you guys were together. <laughs> I was just ah! like <laughs> you are I, I'm you're okay I like this this is fun I, I didn't know I was like when he said he hadn't heard of you guys till yesterday I sent him all the press release stuff and- yeah yeah I'm I'm uh like I said I'm kind of new to metal and I like going yeah. into inter- I like going into interviews in a way that doesn't pre- make me have preconceived notions of I love it I like I like to get the idea of the band from their promo stuff and then get to know the people behind the band i love that i love that i think that's really cool of you i think it's very genuine um and and really really rad of you i it reminds me i did an interview last week with a guy or a couple weeks ago and he said i i did some research and can i ask you this is your husband in the nfl <laughs> i was like <laughs> and i was like no but i love that I'm, I'm gonna tell him that <laughs> like, <laughs> my husband's so in a I, 
way better rock yeah. band. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I've been watching, um, I watched a few episodes. Um, I just got to get the name here, right? Girl Gang. Girl Gang. So I watched a few episodes of Girl Gang. And something that struck me right away, because I just clicked on the first video I see, and you're stuck in the middle of Texas, your bus is broken down, and then you end up at a slaughterhouse as a venue. And, I, and like, I was just thinking to myself, this seems like a plot for either a really good or a really bad horror movie. And, yeah. then, <laughs> and then later on, I see you get all this horror merchandise. And as someone who worked in the horror film industry for quite a while, how much does horror play into what you do as, as, as like the genre into your stage per, uh, perception and props and all of that kind of stuff? Um, it's funny that you, that you say it that way and you bring it up because um, this current show that we're touring with and uh, that we ended up filming as a movie over the pandemic is a horror film, a horror story. Um, it's called Macabre. And I just took the word macabre and cabaret and put them together. And it's macabre. And it's about a man who breaks down in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and um, finds himself uh, stumbling upon a saloon because that's the only thing in sight. He's in the middle of the desert, right? There's nothing in sight. Goes in. And the story is basically taking you through this saloon with this man. And we find out if he makes it out alive or not, or does he become an, an ever living fixture part of the saloon for all time. So it's kind of a dust till dawn meets Dante's Inferno um, mashup in the style of what Cherry Bombs is. So dance and Cirque Arts, kind of Broadway-esque, if you will, like a Broadway horror story. And that's, um, it, I would say it plays very heavily these days because I've never written a show before. My Our shows have never been a storyline before where it takes you from the beginning to the very end. They've always been kind of like a band plays, you know, like a song, a song, a song, and a song, and they're not related, and it's just the music. It's like a set. A, a set, exactly, very much. Um, and this is a production. So we're telling you a story, and it is, in fact, a horror story. So, yeah. That's cool. I just saw that you had all those horror shirts, and I was just like, man, this is so cool. <laughs> like, nice. Well, I'll have to send you the film if you're into it. Um, and I you am. watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, now the other the other thing I was wondering, like in the in in the videos, it makes it look like your your whole troupe is involved in, like not only just performing, but also like designing the props, making the props, setting up the stage. Um, it doesn't seem it seemed more like there wasn't a you didn't have a crew behind you. It was like you were doing everything as a group. Was I misperceiving that when I was watching that or? Uh, these days, we're, we're able to bring in members and crew members, but we are still very hands-on. Um, prior to the past couple years, I would say we had no crew. We did all our own wardrobe, all our own setup, load in, load out, tear, up, you know, tear down, setting up, rigging, uh, everything. Wow. Now, because you know we're becoming more popular and we're having a little bit bigger budget, we can afford crew. So um, you know, on this last tour we just did, we had three techs. So we had stage right tech, stage left tech, um, and an LD. And um, they were, I mean, because our show is growing so much and, and it's so um, heavy in the way of production and, and transitions and aerial apparatuses coming off stage and on stage and all these things, 
um, we really do need the extra hands. And so now we're able to kind of have that. So we're very, very grateful for that. Very lucky to have that and be able to afford that now. Um, but you know, there are some shows coming up where we won't have the budget for that and we'll have to go back to doing it ourselves. And that's fine. All the girls are great. They all jump right in. No one's scared to get their hands dirty. And, uh, we've kind of always ran it that way. Um, selling our own merch. I used to drive the van when we tour in a van. Um, and you know, we'd sleep in it and that kind of thing. So we're kind of similar to a band in that regard where we're kind of earning our own stripes. Um, so cool. Yeah. Thanks. And then feels good. Here's a here's a really odd question, because you use so many props and so many things that um, could hurt you very easily, yeah. either swinging from the roof or in some videos I'm watching you use like power tools and stuff <laughs> with sparks. Yeah. So when you're doing that and you have such a small crew, first of all, you have to worry about the safety inspection part of it. How how did you? I, and this might seem like a, the stupidest question in the world, but how did you learn about the safety inspection part of using all of these props? I even thought of that. It depends on the prop. So in regards to like OSHA, okay, yeah. circus arts are not bound by OSHA. Hmm. So we're not under OSHA. So when people talk about the power tools and stuff, they're like, that's a big OSHA violation. (laughs) Because we're considered a circus act. I mean, circus sideshow acts, you know, hammer nails into their head. Okay. So we are just not applicable under OSHA. Okay. So get that out of the way. Um, Second, we have a massive insurance policy. Um, Third, the circus arts are kind of still underground. So there's no like real textbook uh, way to learn this stuff, but there are, you know, more experienced professionals that do teach um, and they, you know, will take people under their wing and teach them. So it's kind of a weird uh, kind of passed down art where somebody has to feel like they can trust you in order to teach you this like way of of performing. It's very, um, you know, kind of elusive in that regard and, and magical, if you will, it's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, so with, with cherry bombs, um, I, I would say I head up the fire department of it. So I make sure every member of my team is fire safety trained first and foremost. I take them through a whole fire safety course. Then, um, I test them, I give them a written exam and then I give them a practical exam where they have to demonstrate, um, proper fueling techniques, extinguishing techniques, lighting techniques with different props. I light things on fire and I throw them and I tell them, you know, figure it out. Um, These kinds of things that I drill into their heads because it's a matter of not if, it's a matter of when something's going to go wrong. And is everybody prepared for that moment? Um, I get that out of the way first and foremost. And then once they, they graduate that and they do that for a while, then they can move on to performing with fire. So that's how I operate. Um, The... Uh, Ariel, uh, my aerialists kind of take charge of that themselves. So um, they hold different um, types of trainings and certifications within that realm. So one of them is Sprat. Um, some of them are um, really well-versed in rigging. Um, and rigging people is different than rigging speakers and lights yeah. and things that, that most people in like a, a rigger in a venue would probably be more privy to. Um, so hanging humans is very different. Um, so we do a lot of math. 
We take things into consideration, loads. We talk to a lot of engineers. We look at engineering plots. Um, there's a lot of hoops that we jump through um, that I myself jump through as the, as the manager and director. And then um, I go ahead and have my aerialist sign off on it after I do as well to make sure that we're all comfortable since they're the ones hanging up there. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of knowledge. It's a lot of education um, that we have to be up and up on. Um, because we don't trust anyone that's not <laughs> right. in our camp, you know, we, we can't, um, Yo, it's too dangerous. You can't trust yeah. anyone. Yeah. We've, we've seen stages put together with parts switched and then, you know, a big guy, you know, pulls on something. It's like, well, it can all be, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's the check. <laughs> yeah. And then we know when that happens, we just go, nope, we're not going to fly today. Right. Um, so I will, I absolutely will not put my team in, uh, in any more danger than they're already taking a calculated risk of. Yeah. I always just, willing, willing to do. I just think about that when I see danger shows like that, oftentimes people look and they say, look at all the training those people had to go through to do these stunts, but they don't think about the, uh, the training that goes into the safety aspect of it. Like making sure that hurt. nothing goes terribly wrong. Yeah. And then what is your plan when it does is the big one that people don't think of either. Um, So (laughs) yeah. And you kind of have to be a little out of your mind to do this stuff, I think, Um, or just incredibly uh, hungry for attention. (laughs) I don't know, but (laughs) look at me, watch this. And, um, and yeah, but we definitely do take safety in consideration. Is it dangerous? Absolutely. But that's the point of it. And I think when I catch a lot of hell online, I get a lot of hell from, and I'm going to be very stereotyped. I'm going to stereotype here. It's a lot of men that give me a lot of hell for the power tool trick. Really? Oh, oh, it's, they're so mad. They get so mad at me. Really? Oh, you're going to disembowel yourself on stage. Well, that's going to be real fun when you go to the hospital. And oh my god! I and mean, I'm like, well, but that's the point, <laughs> right? Isn't that why I'm doing it? Is danger and excitement and the whole thing? Like, what do you think this was? Like smoke and mirrors? Like, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw that you guys are playing louder than life and aftershock. What's it finally like to be out there and and back to doing what you do best? It's it's, it's a blessing, man. I'll tell you, I will never take this job for granted. I will never not appreciate every moment um, that we have on stage, in the, in the car, doing what every little shitty part of this. You know, right. there's not a lot of it, but every, all the little stuff that makes you grunt about it, never going to complain because it could all be taken away again. And we learned that these past two years. So, um, you know, coming back to it, Super exciting, super rad. It's so cool to see everybody put up their tour announcements and they're, we're going out here and we're going out there and all these lineups are coming out and they're insane with the Aftershock and Louder Than Life too. Like just insane lineups. Um, and it's, it's hungry. really, yeah, people are hungry. They are hungry right. and everyone is on both sides of it. And you can tell. So, so it's with that- really cool. With that being said, then the energy is going to be the energy must be insane, right? Because you guys have done a few shows already. The energy must be the energy exchange must be insane because they they're dying to be there more so than I think than ever in the past. And so are you. Yeah, a thousand percent. Everybody's going ham out there. I mean, our first few shows when we toured during 2021, which with this current season of Girl Gang is about, we were kind of the first act to be 
heading out and all the industry is kind of watching us to see like, can they make this work? Can they do it safely, responsibly? Um, and the audience, man, people are crying out there, just tears. And it was emotional. And then we started being like, bah, 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 bah. and then everybody was crying. Yeah, I mean, you could tell it, uh, everybody's soul got a little bit more dim during the past couple of years. So. I think if the last couple of years taught us anything is that art is like one of the most important facets of society. And it's also probably one of the most underappreciated things yeah. in society. Yeah. Right. I mean, how lucky are we where we can just turn our computer on our phone and just listen to any song we want to. And at any given time, I feel like that kind of instant gratification that on demand has kind of made us spoiled and not appreciate the value of music um, because it's just here, whatever we want it, you know, back when, you know, you had to get the CD or you had to catch it on the radio or you had to catch it on MTV. It was more of like a treat, you know? Yeah. Um, and now it's, it's anytime, anywhere, any way I want. And, you know, maybe we have kind of lost that appreciation. I think you're right. I think you know. it's going to be a, a sort of artistic renaissance here because everybody's been like locked away working on their craft and learning and, you know, putting the, the best stuff together. And I think now that it's opening up, we're going to see like an artistic renaissance, not just in music, but in dance and in shows. Yeah. People are dying. Yeah. They've been locked away. Yeah. I've, I've kind of seen it happen either heavily that way or, or heavily the other way. Right. During the pandemic, right. it was like people either thrived and really dug deep and created some crazy, amazing things, or they kind of, disappeared um, and didn't really do anything. So um, I think it's a true test of, of everybody's will and, and how they were able to adapt uh, during this time. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It's exciting nonetheless to see all this come back um, for sure. That's all I've got. Chris, you got anything else? I have one more. Yeah. Is there a Vegas residency in the works? Well, that would... this, is, this is something I'd love to see in <laughs> Vegas. Well, that's where I live. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm here in Vegas. Um, so I was looking at a Vegas residency when I first moved here, and I was doing the math, and my business mind kept saying, this doesn't make sense financially. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. You have to sell out every single night all the time in order to make money. But the casinos, you know, they know that. It's kind of a weird relationship amongst the two. So I think what the best plan of action for us here in Vegas is to find a home that is not in a casino and is not tourist heavy, but is a good mix of the two of local and, and tourist scene. And I'm looking down at Fremont Street, which I don't know if you've ever been down there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. My, I had my, my uh, marriage reception at uh, Triple oh. George's. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Um, then you're, yeah, you're familiar. So I'm, I'm looking kind of in that area. So that way it's a good mix. And, um, and I think if we do residencies, it'll be a little here and a little there, but not like full blown long-term or anything like that. Okay, cool. I, I, in a row. I was just thinking like, you know, after I, I mean, I've never seen it live. I've only seen what I've seen on YouTube. Yeah. And I, was just, I was just like, man, I bet you this would sell like crazy in Vegas. You know, it's just like danger and. It's it's got every everything that Vegas loves, but it I don't is. know I don't know how the money works in Vegas. I honestly don't. All I know is that I lose a lot when I go there. 
<laughs> I had um, I had a meeting one t- years and years ago with Randy Jackson, yeah. uh, American American Idol Randy Jackson, yeah. yeah. And he he was like, I love that the cherry bombs are doing. I think you guys are onto something. Um, I have a relationship. I would love to pitch you to Caesars. And I think you could do really well there. We could create this awesome thing. He brought me in his office and he goes, but you need to do it to something like this. And he hit play and he blasted Imagine Dragons so loud in his office. Oh. I'm sitting there in his chair and I'm looking at him. Oh. And, and, I, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do something to this. And he goes, but you have to, because you have to make it palatable for a wider audience you're the music you're dancing to or performing to currently is too heavy and i said thank you for your time i really appreciate right, it but that's the Dude, core of what you do I, I would have almost puked a little sorry nothing against I, imagine dragons but like <laughs> no no right, not but like that's do. not that's not us right like yeah. anybody who's like deep into this 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 type of music i mean maybe that there's some there's a venn diagram there but like i imagine it's not a big overlap. No, right. I, and I think once generalizing. it's and I think once it's heavy stuff gets you even as a kid so much, it's in your DNA almost. I've had this conversation with yes. other people. It's in your DNA and it's not going anywhere. Right. There's something about the pushing drive of the drums or the, you know, just that, that, that power behind it. And, and I've always kind of said this, that I think when rock became not so scary for parents is when we started getting into trouble. You know, when parents started being like, yeah, my, Mike, I'm and not, not to say all, cause you know, we have parents like take, right. take their kids to kiss shows back in the day. Right. Kiss was like super scary. Sure. And uh, you know, Metallica and even Slayer and all this stuff and even Slipknot. But I mean, like a lot of like when they're in like car commercials and like a lot of parents were like very comfortable with their kids going to these things. Like when parents were very comfortable with this music is when we started losing that, that edge. Um, so I'm and, a, yeah, uh, we're, we only got eight minutes left in this thing. So we have to yeah. wrap it up quickly, but don't you think that that's what keeps the it going though, passing the torch to your kids so they can keep coming to the shows and keep supporting it's kind of a double-edged sword there, right? It is. It is. But I think it's happening now more than ever because, you know, my generation and older, we were those kids. Right. We were those kids and we grew up with it. And so we're showing those kids. But, I mean, I, I think I think right now, you know, the things that making parents really nervous is, is the hip-hop stars. Yes. Um, you know, your Cardi B's and your whatnot. And so they're they're really kind of at the forefront of the, of the edgy cutting edge stuff right now um, because they're pushing boundaries and they're, and they're pushing people outside of their comfort zones. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. Right? Yeah. Like when you're pushing people past what they're comfortable with is, is kind of the goal of like rock and metal, you know, they, who, they never cared about being mainstream. Right. Right. Yeah. Ever. Right. Um, I kind of yeah. get that about cherry bombs though, is that you push people out of their comfort zone because it's like, yeah. It's like scary. It's women using power tools, which is some for some reason scary for men. I don't know why. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, yeah, you're flying in the air. It, like I watched, it, I was like, oh my god. And the first thing I thought, which I'm sure everyone says, because Bruce said it to me too, I was like, this is like a metal Cirque du Soleil. That's what I'm it watching. Is. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It is a mental search to say, and you know, I think women and, and women's bodies make people really nervous still, especially in America. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, shouldn't. there are times where we show some skin and that can make people very uncomfortable. What a weird time yeah. we live in. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> yeah. It is. Like, you're born that way, man. I'm fucking naked. <laughs> yeah, we alone. all have nipples. Well, most yeah. of us do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. So right. Thank you so much for Thank taking the time. So for your time. Be safe on tour. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Hope you, you see metal. you soon. Right. Bye. Bye. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.